Hey, moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kids' try? Is your current idea of self-care closing the door when you pee? If the only chance you have for exercise is the squats you do when you pick up your kids' Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne. And I'm Jess. And this is Mama Mama Bites. This is Corinne, and I am so excited to bring you this awesome interview that I got to do with Dr. Holly Montgomery Downs, who is a sleep researcher out of West Virginia University. I'm just going to read down some of her bio and research interests, and you're going to tell me that this is the person whose phone number you want at two o'clock in the morning. She conducts sleep research on sleep disorders and directs the sleep research laboratory at her university. Her research focus is on infant feeding methods on the development of pediatric sleep disordered breathing, the impact of postpartum sleep deprivation and fragmentation on maternal functioning, and the long-term maternal recovery from early postpartum sleep disturbance. How amazing is that? And she was amazing to talk to. You're going to learn so much. It's crazy how much she knows. And she actually provides some really helpful strategies and techniques in this interview. So I hope you listen to it to the end. It is a long one. So split it up if you need to. Take it in bites, right? Uh Mama bites. Um, And she was completely wonderful and has even offered to answer questions via email and etc. So she was really wonderful. Uh, also, I'm very excited to announce that I'm going to be speaking at the North Shore Baby Bash in September, on September 22nd at the Peabody Marriott in Peabody, Massachusetts. And uh, this is co-sponsored by uh, two organizations that are pretty wonderful. Stork Ready and the Baby Mavens are co-sponsoring this event. There's going to be vendors, there's going to be speakers, so perhaps you're expecting, perhaps you have a new little one at home. This is going to be a super awesome event, and I am incredibly honored to be speaking about mindful and intuitive eating for moms and why diets are probably not going to be the best idea slash why they are the worst idea. I, I couldn't be more honored to be speaking. Also, I would love to welcome you into my practice if you are interested in working with me. I am now accepting uh, spots for both in-person sessions. So if you are in the greater Boston area and want to come out to um, Canton, Mass, I would love to meet with you in person. And I know that isn't uh, possible for everybody, so I also offer virtual sessions as well. So if you're interested in that, you can either go to the Mama Bites website, that's M-O-M-M-A, bites.com, and you can click on the uh, contact information and uh, that will get in touch with me. Or it will also um, link to my practice website, or you can go directly to my practice website, which is corinnecrosley.com. That's C-O-R-I-N-N-E, Crosley, C-R-O-S-S-L-E-Y. Yes, I know that my first name is not correctly spelled for the English language. Take it up with my mom and dad. All right. I hope that you enjoy this interview and um, that you let me know what you think. Thanks, moms. 
Well, thank you, Holly, for coming on the Mama Bites podcast and helping me out with um, my research for my book, Self-Care for Your Postpartum Year. I'm very excited to have a sleep researcher to talk to. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. And of course, your interest in the topic is spot on, especially since you're looking at the first year after the baby's born, because as we know, it goes on and on and on. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So can you first sort of tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in sleep research and and how you got started? Sure. Uh, when I was an undergraduate student, I took a physiologic psych class, and there was one paragraph about sleep in that textbook. And the very <laughs> last sentence of it was, a great deal more research needs to be done on this topic. And so I thought, well, there's a niche, and then looking further into sleep, I just absolutely fell in love with the topic. And when I was uh, finishing up my postdoctoral fellowship, I started kind of casting about for what to write my first grant application about and developed a really growing interest in postpartum sleep <clears throat> because we're really interested in you know the function of sleep and individual differences in sleep and there are some real limits though on, on what we can do to people in terms of messing with their sleep we mm. have so much evidence that that sleep is important that you really can't ethically deprive people of sleep for a very long time or or really impose harsh schedules on them and then i realized i don't have to do that experimentally <laughs> there's this group of people out there who have decided to do this for themselves and by themselves and they're called postpartum parents yes so i started out looking at mom and dad's sleep from the perspective of basic physiology and basic behavior and then very quickly realized that this is also a public health policy issue and mm -hmm. a family leave issue mm -hmm. and a societal well-being issue. So that was sort of my, my entry into the specific area of postpartum research, which to me is among the most fascinating in the world. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That's, and thank God you're doing that work. <laughs> Wow. So can you tell us, I mean, I know you can tell us, but um, introduce us to why sleep is so important and, and f particularly for postpartum parents. Right. So one of the questions that gets asked a lot is why do we sleep? Mm -hmm. And I, I tend to, I, I teach courses on sleep to, to students at the university and we address this in the very first day of class. And I think the really important thing to, to think about is to turn it on its head and ask, well, why are we awake? Why does mm. awake matter? Why mm. does being alert and moving around and, you know, why do we have that physiologic state? And, you know, quickly students say, oh, well, because there are things you can only do when you're awake. You mm. can't do them when you're, you know, in a coma. You can't do them when you're asleep. You can't do them when you're incapacitated. And they are things that our lives depend upon. So we eat and we procreate and we you know, do basic um, self-maintenance things when we're awake, and it's exactly the same thing when we're asleep. Mm. So when we're asleep, our bodies repair themselves in certain ways. The, the, the brain literally gets cleaned out while we're asleep. Um, we recharge in, in numerous different ways, and if we don't, on the short term, we have pretty dire consequences, um, and in the long term, ultimately, we die without sleep. Mm. So... It's, um, to me, it's very harmonic that, that each of the physiologic states that we have 
we engage in behaviors and, and physiological processes that only happen during those days. So we need them all. We need to be awake and we need to be asleep. Mm. I like how you turn that on its head. That's, yeah. <laughs> we're so focused on <clears throat> how much sleep we're missing. We're not even thinking about, you know, how you framed it. I really like how you framed it. Well, it's it's one of the real ironies is that we, everybody complains about not enough hours in the day and we wish we had more and we want to be more productive and, and there's still people out there who are trying to figure out ways of foregoing sleep <laughs> in order to have more hours awake when the truth is, and, and most people can reflect on this and realize that it's true for their own lives, that when we're well rested, we're actually more productive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fundamentally sleeping better actually means that we're better during the rest of our lives too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to come around to that. I think that's people struggle with that with the sort of uh, seduction of productivity that mm-hmm. we're missing how how productive sleep is too, right? Exactly, and how much it prepares us for for being yeah more more intensively productive and focused and and in a better mood. And and you also asked why is it specifically important for postpartum parents. Mm-hmm. And I would argue it's important for anyone who's doing a job that matters. Mm-hmm. And postpartum parents are doing, I think, the most important job that matters the most. Mm, yes. And so mm-hmm. sleep is, is critical to us being, you know, having a decent reaction time so we can drive safely. It matters in terms of, of recovery and of course moms in particular recovering from some major changes to their bodies um so there's there's some of the the main effects cognitively we also all know that we just don't feel good mentally um one of the things that we're finding with with sleep disturbed parents is that they they do tend to the baby they do the rouge necessary things they feed their babies on time they change their baby's diapers they they do all of the basics, but they don't respond to the baby's verbal cues. They don't look their babies in the eyes. Mm. They mm. don't remember to take them out of their car seat when mm. they arrive home. Mm. Just really, you know, the spaced out things that parents worry about and don't realize that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that was definitely my biggest fear in my postpartum year. That was like we... My my husband had a fear of, um, we, we live in the Northeast, so we have both <laughs> severe seasons. So he was always worried about starting the car to warm up the car and, and not clearing it in the snow enough. And I was always worried about leaving the baby in the car for, with a hot car. <laughs> and so we, one of us was always in fear <laughs> one part of the, uh, the year or the other. Um, but yeah, when you're exhausted, it, it, really throws off your body trust I think and and what you you know that you're capable of yeah it's again with the irony but it that life stage magnifies everything Mm -hmm. is everything you do becomes so much more important but also the stakes are so much higher Mm -hmm. and the fact that that's the time when most of us are you know more sleep deprived and more impaired than we've ever been in our lives it, it can make you seriously paranoid yeah yes yeah (laughs) I would totally agree with that for sure how much sleep are we supposed to be getting (laughs) yeah so that's (laughs) that's um a little bit of a disagreement that I have with where my field is at large right now Hmm. there's a there's a lot of emphasis broadly in providing 
these consensus statements on recommendations for how much sleep people in different age groups should be getting. Hmm. And I wish that we would just focus instead, because there are, there are huge individual differences, and, and you can tell people that, well, most people of you know, a certain age need this many, but the truth is when you look at those statistics, then there are very large ranges of what is considered normal. Hmm. And so rather than, and, and I'm not going to give you a number right okay. now, because yeah. um, I just don't think it's appropriate, mm-hmm. I would rather people focus on how do they feel. And mm-hmm. and also, there's this really easy experiment that people can do if their lives allow, and major nod to the fact that not everybody is in a situation where they can do this. But if you turn off the alarm mm-hmm. and close the shades and arrange to have no one awaken you, and you lay down and you go to sleep, how long do you sleep? Mm. You know, how hard is it for you to wake up when the alarm goes off in the morning? Mm. Are you feeling exhausted during the day? Are you snapping at your partner? Are you nodding off at meetings or in front of the television? Um, those are all really significant warning signs. So those are the indicators that you're not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. People who get enough sleep, generally report that they haven't felt this good in years they mm-hmm. forgot that they could feel this way like getting a new lease on life and I, I feel sort of evil saying this to a postpartum audience because everyone's you know craving that sure. but as you work through you know, the postpartum process and time getting back to that goal of, of feeling fully recovered is is an appropriate one Mm. And, yeah, I, I would rather people stop wearing the devices on their wrists mm. and stop listening to official recommendations and just listen to our bodies. Oh, my goodness. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I'm a... Um, I specialize in eating disorders. And so um, the, the way um, I work is from an intuitive eating um, stance. And so, you know, I've been going out and I've been talking to all, all different people in all different walks of life. The podcast started off as like talking about, you know, mindful eating and self-care for moms. And now as I'm sort of branching out in all these other forms of self-care, I keep hearing the same message over and over by, from these like really wonderful people, which is, um, you know, where the information is, is in your body. (laughs) It's Uh actually in your body. And um, I read a couple interviews that you did or commented uh, about wearables and um, how off they can be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was so excited that I was going to get to talk to you because. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of those. I'm a big fan of people being interested in their sleep. Sure. I'm super happy that they're is a a huge apparent market of people who want to pay more attention to that incredibly important health relevant topic, Mm -hmm. but relying on one of those devices is ill-advised at best. Mm -hmm. What, um, I, I know that I, I sort of read in the article, but can you explain to a little bit to our listeners about why they can be so far off sometimes or a lot of the time maybe? Yeah. So they're based on on just movement detection. They're just small motion sensors. And if you're a really, really, you know, solid sleeper, you're not moving around a whole lot at night, you're you're not in an area where there's, 
you know, disruptions that are awakening you, you just lay down, have totally healthy, normal sleep, then your device is not going to be too off. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start having brief arousals and awakenings and disturbing aspects to your sleep, um, having a sleep disorder, sleeping next to someone who has a sleep disorder, Mm. these all cause what we call micro arousals, which are very, very um, damaging to the integrity of sleep, even Mm -hmm. if they're just for a couple of seconds at a time. Mm -hmm. Those devices don't detect those. And so you can have an absolutely miserable night of sleep. We do it in the laboratory, um, you know, basically like acoustically prodding at people to wake them up. Mm -hmm. And the device on their wrist is still going to say, no, you slept great. And the real problem with that is that they're telling you you're sleeping better than you are. Mm -hmm. If it was the opposite, if they were saying, "Mm, you know, I didn't get great sleep last night, um, but you actually did, then you would have kind of a, it's what we call a false positive. Mm -hmm. You would be concerned about your sleep but not for any strong, important reason. Mm-hmm. And that's not great, but it's much, much worse to have a condition where you should be worried about your sleep, but being given a false sense of security by this thing on your wrist. Mm-hmm. And and I also like, as I just said, to say, listen to your body. But mm-hmm. the truth is, one of the unfortunate aspects of sleep disturbance and sleep loss is that we lose fairly quickly our ability to have a high level of insight into how we feel. Mm. Very much like alcohol intoxication, where mm-hmm. you have a couple drinks, your perception of how impaired you are gets a little bit skewed. Mm-hmm. And the more you drink, of course, the more skewed it gets to the mm-hmm. point where there are always, of course, people who think they drive better when they're drunk. Yeah. And sleep loss, sleep disturbance does some of those same things. Mm. And so giving someone a device that says, all good, got mm-hmm. great sleep last night, when you really didn't, mm-hmm. is a whole lot like giving someone a breathalyzer that says, yep, no problem, ready to go, to when go, they're right. actually legally impaired. Oh, wow. And so people who are drunk or people who are really sleep deprived shouldn't be driving. They shouldn't be running nuclear reactors. They shouldn't be flying airplanes. Um, They probably shouldn't be caring for for vulnerable young infants. Um, But we sometimes don't have choices. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, knowing that you're impaired is really important Mm -hmm. so you can adjust for that and accommodate it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I am not not a fan of devices that say, you know, thumbs up, ready to go, Mm -hmm. when the opposite is true. To me, that's dangerous and scary. That's oh, that's such a great point. Um, how our our ability to sense that um, that we're impaired really falls away so quickly when we are impaired. That um, metaphor is so apt, uh, and and certainly you know uh, I rem- I remember talking to someone um, before I became a parent, and he was saying how tired he was, and he was driving. And he said, you know, it's exactly like drunk driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's so powerful. And also, you know, if we ever doubt that, um, you know, try to interact with your child when they're overtired. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Such a great, you know, like 930 last night when my seven year old like will, 
you know, just is having trouble going to sleep and, you know, wants to disclose every single last thing that's happening in her body. And I'm saying like, it's, it's because you're exhausted and it's not because I'm exhausted. And I, and we know, right. We know for our kids, it's because they're exhausted, but you know, and here I am staying up late, like preparing for the podcast and like, in in swimming in irony right? <laughs> no you up. didn't do that for this one tell me you didn't do that for this. <laughs> I was actually ready for this one but working on an, you know editing another one and okay. yeah the worst right and then you know being up late and feeling like really emotionally vulnerable and I, like oh really mm-hmm. focusing on this like mistake I had made and thinking like okay you just told your daughter, <laughs> this is, this is what it feels like. <laughs> you are impaired. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Right. But it's so well, hard actually, to know. But I really like hearing you say that you recognize that that was a symptom of overtired because it took a long time. And in fact, pediatricians still need to explain to parents sometimes what fatigue looks like in a mm. kid. And children still get misdiagnosed with ADHD when what they really have is a sleep Asleep, disorder. Right, yeah. Because kids don't act like we do, do they? They get revved up. They're mm. compensating mm-hmm. for their fatigue by bouncing off the walls. Sure. And- yeah, they rev up like crazy. And yeah, even as a parent, that took me a while to understand, like, why, why are they <laughs> out of their minds right now? Oh, right. oh, wait, yeah, this is... This is actually that they're overtired and totally dysregulated right now. We see this really interesting thing in babies that's always fascinated me. It's called stress sleep. Mm. And they do this when they get into an environment that they can't escape from. It's mm. their, it's like their last resort. So little boys who are circumcised, mm. they're often taken back to their parents all swaddled up and sleeping soundly. Mm-hmm. It's not normal sleep. Mm. They're in this like escape maneuver because they can't get away from the pain any other way. <laughs> and you see kids in like super crazy noisy environments who are like asleep under the table and it's not necessarily a good sign. Yeah. Them, them escaping. Is that um, overwhelming? You know, sometimes I talk with clients mm-hmm. um, when they're they're feeling really overwhelmed. They get, you know, feeling really sleepy. I know that happens for me sometimes. And is that sort of like the overwhelm of the brain shutting down or something like um, th- like a level of cortisol that's happening that's just saying like, as, like almost like a freeze response to, to sort of shut everything down? Is, is something like that going on or is, is it something else? Yeah, so I'm... Stress sleep really applies to the sort of extreme, extreme reactions, but this is definitely a a coping behavior. Okay. And and, and many of us have it. There's like, you you mentioned about cortisol, and and yeah, there is that crash after an extremely stressful environment. And, you know, anyone who's done public speaking or a major athletic event knows that when that wears off, you either better get a cup of coffee or be ready to, to crash. Yeah. So children definitely experience that too. Yeah, we forget that, right? We forget that they're they're still having all the feelings, right? And, and as you said, yeah. it just looks really different for them. Yeah. What are the different types of sleep? Um, is that helpful for us to know about what are what the most important types are? What are we missing? We well, about? I think I think an important way to think about sleep is 
that, yeah, we do have it divided uh, scientifically into different stages of sleep. And But the truth is they're all important, and they happen in a certain order. And sleep is not like a book. So if you're getting into it and you get interrupted, baby wakes you up, for example, and then you go back to sleep, you don't get to pick up where you left off. Mm. You have to start back at the beginning of that chapter. Mm. And so what happens is if you're getting awakened a lot, like once an hour, your sleep cycle is actually about 90 minutes long. And so you're getting selectively cut off from those latter stages. Mm. And the last stage that happens after about you know 40 minutes to an hour into sleep is REM sleep. And we used to just think that REM was important because it was when dreams happen. Mm-hmm. We understand now it's absolutely critical in terms of, of memory processing and cognitive abilities and cleaning the brain out and, and storage of information from short-term to long-term memory and creativity as well. Mm-hmm. So if we're being awakened hourly and we're not giving our, ourselves the opportunity to go into REM or something else isn't giving us the opportunity to go into REM, then we end up getting selectively deprived of that stage. Mm. Um, any stage that was at the end of the cycle would be vulnerable to that. It just so happens that it's the one. Um, the, one of the other major stage divisions that we look at is, is slow-wave sleep or mm. delta sleep. Mm-hmm. It happens a little bit earlier. And it's when a lot of the growth hormone and immune system are doing their very best work. Mm -hmm. So people who get even more sleep deprived or sleep fragmented um, tend to also have problems with immunity and fighting off diseases and things like that. Mm. Um, So there, I I think the main focus is you can't like choose to have more REM or earlier. Um, It tends to happen the more sleep disturbed you get. Mm. But a really appropriate goal is to try and get a whole cycle at once. And so given unlimited resources, if parents can come up with strategies so that they can take turns or someone else can come in and help out so that moms, particularly um, after the breastfeeding relationship is well established, um, if moms can get those increments of 90 minutes, so, mm. you know, an hour and a half or mm-hmm. three hours mm-hmm. all combined together between feedings, then that that's a really good kind of strategy to try and implement to, mm. to get through that difficult time. Wow, that's such helpful information. Just And so, you know, uh, I think with sleep, people struggle because it's, it's so amorphous, you know, we have some information about what we need and what we don't need, but that's a really helpful, um, as we say in the business, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely calling. That's a very smart um, thing to be able to work out with people. And and I, and I sort of go back to that, uh, remembering that moment where I had three hours in a row. <laughs> mm-hmm. I woke up and I was like, I'm ready for anything. It, it just makes a huge difference, doesn't it? All the difference, all the difference. And then, and then when they went six, you know, and then when I got six in a row, it was like, I, you know, a new planet to be on. Right. It's like six is the new eight hours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, the reason for that is because in that situation, you've had 
the integrity of this leaf cycle. So one of the things that really shocked us about the first study we did in the laboratory is how fragmented mom's sleep is. Mm. We expected there would be some combination of like interruption to the sleep plus also sleep deprivation. And and that's an important distinction because being sleep deprived means you're getting less sleep overall. Being sleep fragmented means that that integrity of that sleep cycle is getting interrupted and you're having to start over again. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we would see both and we didn't. It was actually a very clear picture of no sleep deprivation. Women on average were getting about seven and a half hours of sleep if you add up all the pieces of it. Yeah. But there was no integrity to it. It was like you'd taken a normal amount of sleep and chopped it up like confetti and then just sort of sprinkled it around. Mm -hmm. And being sleep fragmented is just as bad as being sleep deprived. So even even though they were getting enough sleep overall, they felt as though they weren't getting any. Wow. Mm -hmm. Whoa. I just sort of want to take a breath there, Um, especially because I'm thinking about, um, you know, something that that comes up in my work so much. So I, I bring it up in the interviews is just sort of how hard moms tend to be on themselves mm-hmm. and sort of, um, hearing over and over and feeling myself as well. Um, when, especially around self care, right? That, okay, now I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't feel right. And so what's wrong with me, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> or, um, what's the problem or, you know, how is my body broken in this way or that? And so I really, really want to, um, you know, pause on what you're saying about how damaging, um, the fragmentation is. It's, it's just as damaging as the deprivation. Absolutely. But it's also insidious because you think, oh, well, you know, I got, I got an hour here, and then I got an hour and a half there, and then I got another hour there, etc. So what's wrong with me? Right, right. And, you know, if, if somebody had obstructive sleep apnea, and they're not able to sleep and breathe at the same time, and they're constantly having these awakenings, you wouldn't point to them and say, you know, buck up, man. <laughs> yeah. Got to get on your game. Stop being such a loser. <laughs> we do that to ourselves. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And now, forever in a day, I'm going to go back to, well, when I talked to Holly, <laughs> let's talk about if you slept for 20 minutes, sure, that's great. Let's, let's applaud that, that attempt. However, there's no way you got the cycle, right? That, that if the right. cycle's 90 minutes, you're, you're getting a very small portion of the cycle, actually. Exactly. And, and if, if someone has experiences with you know the 20 minute nap or whatever during the day and they feel good as a result I am not going to disparage that and I encourage them to you know use whatever time and resources are available to them Mm -hmm. but the truth is that very few especially postpartum women feel that way Mm -hmm. and instead what we tend to do is not nap and then, you know, write thank you cards or laundry <laughs> yes. or, you know, the dishes. a zillion things that yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And then we beat ourselves up for it. Uh-huh. And the truth is that not probably wouldn't have done you that much good anyway. Mm. So it, although it feels very I'm squeamish about saying, nah, don't worry about sleeping. 
the truth is you'd be better off sitting down and using that time, you know, to contact the people who love you and say, I need three hours of sleep tonight. Can you please come over and take the, you know, 11 o'clock feeding? And then I will set my alarm for a half an hour after that and pump. And, you know, strategies like that, whatever resources are at people's disposal. Um, Sadly, not everyone has, like, you know, the finished basement where you can go and put earplugs and eye shades and and really dedicate to sleep. And we don't all have people who we unambiguously trust to Mm -hmm. care for our babies. Sure, Um, sure. But within whatever resources we have, those are laudable goals. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really great. I love that idea. Um, And giving moms permission to, if they didn't, quote unquote, sleep when the baby sleeps, right? That's that's the the gold standard <clears throat> quote um, the, to forgive themselves for that. That's okay. You know, if, if that was really going to work for you, then let's support you in that. But if you mm-hmm. don't feel rested um, and you're going to be frustrated by that, you can use that time to, to make a plan to sleep in a way that's going to be helpful to, for you and get you at close to a full cycle. It sounds like. Right, right. And again, you just get back to trusting yourself and listening to your body. And and it's really easy for me to say that now. My youngest baby is 12 years old. (laughs) Um, But I do remember, I do remember those times and being really hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And and I will never, ever forget with my first, who's 18 years old now, Mm -hmm. it took me four hours one time to toast butter and eat a bagel <laughs> oh, oh, oh holly <laughs> so you know what i mean yes like, you know, it, and i wasn't sleeping during that time <laughs> but but what was more important like me taking a 10 minute nap like with her strapped to my chest which she always was yeah or like actual nutrition right and right it turned out eating was more important right, so, right. yeah we're, we're gonna give ourselves permission for that Oh, that's such a great story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Tears in my eyes. I'm thinking about um <clears throat> with my second uh my mom showed up, you know, she just like would show up with things sometimes and she shows up with this like it looks like something from NASA. <laughs> a, a cup from NASA and I'm like, "What is this?" she said, "Um, I watched you reheat your tea five times last week and you never drank it." <laughs> And I was like, yeah, this is, I will take this. Thank you for that. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Sort of I have this secret her. fantasy that people are going to start having sleep-themed baby showers oh. where instead of being given clothes that baby's going to, like, grow out of in 10 minutes, they're actually given, like, on-call coupons by oh. everyone who loves them that says, you know, these are the shifts when I'm available, and no questions asked, call me, you know, half an hour in advance is all I need to get over to your house, where when you, you know, like the planets are aligned and you're going to be able to take like a three hour nap during the day yeah. or whatever, then I am your person for that. And oh my God, Holly, then, let's do it. Let's start this. Of it. Oh, I love this. Oh my God. All I need is like a laminator and like really pretty printables. And yeah, this is, I love that. 
I love that. I That's think Etsy great. should just get on that right now. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, like I, the thing that's sort of like blown open this week, I don't know if um, you've seen any of this, but um, uh, Mom Frida, the, there's this company that now you can buy like all of the accoutrement <laughs> that you have to steal from the hospital to go home with for postpartum care. Ah! No, I hadn't seen that. It's all like beautifully packaged and it can come to your house and you just order it online now. And, you know, being in this field, um, all of all of uh, sort of the contacts I've made along the way are like commenting on it on like social media. And like one of uh, Lindsay Stenovec, who's a dietitian I interviewed, she's like, well, I know what all my <laughs> mom gifts are going to be now. <laughs> like, here are these ice pads and you're going to love me <laughs> in about <laughs> two months when you open these instead of a onesie. <laughs> That's brilliant. That yeah. I mean, who doesn't need a stock of those refrigerator oh gel pack to put on your breath yes. when you have mastitis, which you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's coming. Buckle up. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm telling you, but this is the next wave, Holly. It's the next wave. You've got something there for sure. I love that. And and how we talk about like our villages are gone now. Like that's this yeah. is such a problem in raising kids and especially in the postpartum year, you know, at some point there would have been a group of women and families that would have surrounded you and helped usher you in through this year. And, and we just don't have that anymore. And especially with the sleep thing, right? Yeah. So I think you're making a point that I hope your listeners are hearing really loudly and clearly because there's not one among us who at two o'clock in the morning isn't thinking, how does anyone survive this? How has the human species made it, through this like how have we even survived to evolve because this is horrible and the truth is we haven't for millennium been doing this Mm -hmm. the way that we're doing it now is a modern invention Mm -hmm. and a really really sadistic one that we've done to ourselves i guess that makes it masochistic yeah and so no we we have uniquely created this this social self-isolation where a couple is raising a baby by themselves and I have moms who are single moms by choice mm-hmm. who are so far ahead of the average mainstream couple in planning to have support and really ensuring that, that they and their infant are well cared for by a large group of people. And that's the way we all ought to be doing it. Yeah, yep. That's brilliant. We're, we're going to start a change, though. <laughs> Figure this out. Especially because, you know, this... This is most acute in the postpartum year and most, you know, like right on top of us. But, um, you know, uh, I last night was a good night. So I only walked into my children's room two nights <laughs> or two two times last mm-hmm. night. I have a, uh, a four, um, almost four year old and a seven year old. Um, but but I think the thing that I didn't know about um, signing on to become a mom is that this this wasn't going to end super soon. (laughs) And so, um, I still have interrupted sleep and what are some of the long-term effects of, of those pieces? You know, what are, what are the things that we should know about with that? Yeah. Well, maybe (laughs) I shouldn't say this to you because it's, it's, but this week, my oldest moved into her first apartment, and uh. my sleep hasn't been this messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I keep waking up and thinking she's 
not here. Yeah. I don't know where she is or what she's doing. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, so I'm I'm starting to fear that it actually never ends. <laughs> never ends, yeah. Um maybe there's this like maybe their grandparents listening to this going, Yeah, yeah. then you're gonna have grandkids. <laughs> so shut up. <laughs> but um so much earlier than sleep researchers were ever starting to look at this, people who study memory and cognitive abilities um, have been looking at what what we lovingly call baby brain mm-hmm. and and realizing and there, there are all kinds of data supporting the notion that after the birth of, birth of a first child that women's cognitive abilities aren't the same mm-hmm. and this is not something that I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I heard a man saying it, I would probably start stabbing him with things. <laughs> but it's true that, mm-hmm. that our brains change. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm really interested in now is how much of that change and lack of recovery is due to sleep disturbance. Mm-hmm. And we know that there are long-term changes. People who, who study animal models and have, have long-term chronic sleep disturbance, they find that areas of the brain really, they morph in ways that don't ever recover. Hmm. So I worry a whole lot that, that we're vulnerable to that same phenomenon. Hmm. And, and one of the things that we do know for sure now is that with the birth spacing that we traditionally have, so like a year and a half apart in the Western world, we know now that women, their sleep has recovered by the time they have their next baby or get pregnant with the next one, but the effects of it have not worn off. So women's mm. reaction times are still slower than they were. Um, their memory is still slightly impaired compared to what their baseline had been before the first pregnancy. And... So, yeah, that's, I, I don't like to talk about that, mm-hmm. um, but I think it is a modifiable factor. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to have to just make the choice to involve some other people in our lives. Mm-hmm. And not, not many of us are good at that. No, no. But I think that does help create some urgency even more <clears throat> in terms of sort of like, you know, because so often we're just sort of like nose to the grindstone, like, okay, I can just get through this, just get through this. But um, in terms of sort of that, those long-term effects, um, we, we, we need to be thinking about that. That's um, really serious. And, you know, I certainly can um, attest to feeling um, my, as you can hear, even just sort of like word finding sometimes um and and I am I'm not up several times a night you know like a couple times a night but mm-hmm. um you know still I, I believe that we can still feel those effects <laughs> quite a while later um and I was and always they're a, subtle they're yeah, subtle yeah. and you lose you lose your perspective mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. and don't realize that you're not quite where you are so, but what we're talking about is actually different than like a sleep disorder. Um, I mean, that, that seems like a whole other kettle of fish. Are there disturbances or disorders that we should particularly be watching out for? Or how do we know if we're supposed to talk to a doctor 
Um, right. Yeah, and that's a really, really important question to ask. I I get very um, reactionary when anyone talks about the postpartum period as being abnormal in any way, mm. because the truth is it is a totally normal stage of life. Thank goodness many of us do this, otherwise humanity is going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the disorder in relation to postpartum sleep is really a societal disorder. <laughs> Well, there's a quote. We've, we <laughs> really, really need to reevaluate the way that we are treating postpartum families, um, the importance that we place on what these families are doing in terms of investing in humanity and the expectations that we have of them and that postpartum moms especially um, have of themselves because they're, they're a little bit out of whack, mm. maybe more than a little bit out of whack. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the problem with postpartum sleep is, is what we're expecting of ourselves. But you're also asking, when, when, do you, when do you seek medical attention? At what point do you start to worry that it's not just that, wow, you know, you need the three hours, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of circumstances in, in, with that. Um, one is that any time that a woman starts to feel symptoms of depression, they are mm. quite likely associated with sleep disturbance, mm. but that is not something to ignore. Mm -hmm. And whether it's because of sleep or because of something else, um, that is not something to, to wait around and, you know, see if things improve. Once the baby starts sleeping a little better, maybe you'll feel a little better, but it's not worth waiting for. Mm -mm. We, we definitely know that, that you don't want to ignore those symptoms. Um, there are other sleep disorders, bona fide sleep disorders, that unfortunately women can be more, more vulnerable to hmm. um, when they're pregnant and postpartum. And hmm. one of them that we've recognized in the last 10 years more and more is obstructive sleep apnea. Hmm. So because of the weight gain and the fluid retention um, and the different positions that we sleep in, pregnant women especially, we find it a, a to me, it's sort of a shockingly high proportion of women who develop obstructive sleep apnea when they're pregnant. Now, it goes away after the baby is born because mm -hmm. the fluid retention decreases. Obviously, the weight is gone. That pressure on their abdomen is no longer there. But that, too, is not something that is worth waiting around to have resolved. Mm. Um, we're finding that women who have a more severe obstructive sleep apnea during pregnancy, their babies are born earlier and smaller and have more difficulty transitioning. Mm. So there are now um, mainstream physicians who absolutely recognize the importance of treating obstructive sleep apnea, um, even when women are pregnant. There are non-invasive ways of doing that. Mm. It's important for her health, and it's been important for the baby's growth and development, even in utero. Mm. Uh, so that's one. Insomnia, as ridiculous as it sounds, there are women who... Even when they can sleep, even when the baby is sleeping at night, even if the baby's sleeping through the night, women are still vulnerable to having insomnia postpartum. And mm. that, likewise, is something that um, deserves treatment, um, particularly with a behavioral sleep medicine specialist. Mm. We know there's not a drug on the market that works better than talk therapy mm. for, um, for acute or chronic insomnia. Really? And, That's yeah, so, so interesting. It's been going on for more than a few weeks. Um, in order to be considered chronic insomnia, it has to last three months. 
Uh-huh. But if I were talking to a friend and she said, I just, I'm awake at night even when I don't have to be and it's been going on for, you know, a week or so, I would say, let's not mess around with that. Mm. Let's go and, and find somebody who does cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and address that right now. Wow. Um, the last one that is more pronounced during pregnancy, <laughs> really hate this one, is uh, periodic limb movement disorder and uh, even restless limb syndrome. Yes, yeah. And and this I cringe when I even talk about this one, but nocturnal leg cramps which uh, are associated uh, with the iron deficiency. Oh, oh, did you ever have those? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like having a sense memory of like leaping out of bed with a Charlie horse, um, yes. being pregnant. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm impressed that you could leap even like three minutes pregnant. Yeah. I was not somebody who was, <laughs> well, it was survival. It was a, get this out of my body. Get this out of my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, I was better at just laying there screaming oh. for my partner, like, help me. Yeah. Yeah. I know that if I can stand on it, it will eventually go away. And if anybody touches me, it's going to be so much worse. And so that was, yeah, that was sort of the only way that I was leaving yeah. out of bed. Yeah. Well, oh. it's something that we don't talk about a whole lot, but it is very common. And sadly, I mean, you want to make sure your iron stores are normal, but mm. but that's more of a serum ferritin thing most of the time. And and again, I feel very wicked telling women this, but um, there's there are studies that showing that women who have problems with um, limb movements, you know, jerky movements at night that they may not even be aware of during pregnancy, are almost guaranteed to have it in subsequent pregnancies. Mm. Yeah. Good to be aware because it does fragment sleep and it yeah. does mean that you want to, you know, if you're driving and, you know, who isn't when they're pregnant, then mm-hmm. you do want to make sure that you're giving yourself extra time. And if you feel impaired, just don't. Don't mm. drive. It's not worth it. Mm. Yeah. Excellent advice. I actually might have been able to leap out of bed because I had vicious insomnia when I was pregnant, both my pregnancies. So I was probably like just mostly awake (laughs) most of the time. Yeah, it was, um, it was my, I had very good pregnancies, but I didn't sleep. And I know that it was me, you know, emotionally trying to process what was, what I was getting ready for, but I, I, Mm -hmm. but I still couldn't sleep. (laughs) I still couldn't do it. Um, it's really common mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not just worry and anxiety. The hormone changes really, Again, we don't talk about it. Everyone, yeah, I'm swelling and I'm, you know, this and I've got these aches and I've got, oh my God, round ligament pain with my ass. But but we can put all of those things down pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But when it's something, you know, in your head, Mm -hmm. we tend to blame ourselves rather than accepting that, yeah, this is part of the change that I'm going to have to go through. Right, right. um, But like with all those other symptoms, there are things that, that you can do. Mm-hmm. I am sorry that you experienced that. I I used to have a little sticker outside my office door at work, and I thought it was really funny. It was red and white, and it says insomnia. It looms, <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny until I experienced it for the first time. Yeah. And then I went to work and took that sticker down because that's not funny. <laughs> it's it's so. And I uh, I am a champion sleeper. I'm a champion napper. I'm actually mm. really really fortunate to have not really struggled um, with a sleep disorder other than <laughs> those nine months uh, or 18 months between the two of them. Um, 
and yeah, it was, it was awful, (laughs) but I was able, you know, I'm a private practice therapist and I have my own office. And so, um, a lot of the time my clients thought they were waiting for the next client to come out and it was me sleeping. (laughs) I would nap, um, during the day. I was very, very, very fortunate to be able to do that. And I think that is one of the few things that really helped is I used to, I used to like lay there and start, you know, the panic would start and et cetera. And I'd say, you know what? I will, I will find some time tomorrow. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a bummer. And so anyone who struggles with that and sort of the lifelong, um, journey, it just, um, oh, my heart breaks for them. No, it breaks my heart too, especially since it doesn't need to be that way. Mm -hmm. And it is true that there's a very decided, um, lack of of having enough practitioners of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do have to look around to find someone, but Mm -hmm. there are online directories. The um, Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine has has directories and resources available. Oh, that's great. That'll go right in the show notes for sure. That's wonderful. And in the book too. Um, Now, is that something you would do a sleep study for? Who needs sleep studies? Like what, what is a sleep study exactly? Yeah, sleep study is just a phrase that we use to de- describe um, the process of having what is more technically called an overnight polysomnogram. Okay. And so polysomnography is it's the Latin root to mean many sleep writings, and that's literally what we're looking at. So to get the best information about what's going on at night, you need to have information from your brain, um, your eye movements, your muscle tone, your heart activity, your breathing patterns. And all of that gets put together to really evaluate um, whether the sleep you're getting is a high enough quality mm-hmm. or possibly impaired by a sleep disorder. That um, even with things like insomnia, it does help to know, you know, are your brain waves when you are asleep, is everything functioning normally? Does everything look good? So traditionally, a sleep study has always been administered in a laboratory or in a hospital setting. You mm-hmm. go and sleep in this of artificial environment and it certainly does impact your sleep but um, it's worth it to get that high level information more and more insurance companies are now refusing to pay for that highest quality level of you know in the hospital or in the in the sleep evaluation center mm-hmm. and they're insisting that physicians um, first use and sometimes only use what's called a home sleep tap mm-hmm. and there are variations on this. Sometimes you go like to the, the center where they'll put the sensors on you and then send you home, kind of like, like a cardiac monitor for mm-hmm. heart patients. Mm-hmm. Other times they just send it to you in a box and ask you to put all of these sensors on yourself. Um, sometimes they're really, really dumbed down and you only have a couple of sensors. Mm-hmm. And I um, really encourage people to be squeaky wheels and get the highest quality study that they can do, mm-hmm. even if it means you know being obnoxious and calling your um, insurance company and really you know highlighting the importance of having the highest quality study possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you always want to make sure that you're going to an accredited sleep medicine center and a physician who is board, board certified in sleep medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the the kind of hallmarks of distinction to ensure that if you are going to go through this process, and it's, you know, it's not horrible, but it certainly is time-consuming, and there's nobody who really relishes the notion of doing it, 
so you want to do it right the first time. Mm. And, and again, there are all kinds of resources available. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine has a website that has good directory information for the, the physicians and the sleep centers in the U.S. Um, who who you should be looking for. That was exactly what I was going to ask for. That's great. Absolutely. Another thing that we'll put up for um, people to be able to just click right to. Um, that's that's really wonderful. I, I had been um, hearing about the at-home sleep studies and uh, I was super curious. I'm glad you brought them up because uh, I was going to ask you about them. I actually, in my in my graduate work, uh, my biological basis of behavior professor was a, a sleep specialist, which I had no interest in sleep. And then I met her and I was incredibly interested in sleep and hearing about, you know, what happened in a lab. And then I have clients coming in with obstructive sleep apnea and them saying, um, oh, well, you know, or, or I'm saying like, you need a referral, you need a referral, you need to go do a sleep study. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, my, my insurance will only do the home study. And I'm like, what is this home study? I don't, how do you do that? <laughs> um, so that's really helpful information about sort of what's going on um, in those studies. And uh, I, I hear your voice saying, uh, really, we need to really advocate for ourselves to get the quality of study that we need done consistent with what our, our symptoms yeah, are. Yeah, and it's, you know, I don't want anyone to hear, like, home study means no study. It's mm-hmm. better than nothing for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But if there's anything ambiguous about the results of a home sleep study, that, too, is another opportunity to become a squeaky wheel and say, no, you know, we don't want to proceed with the treatment or decide not to treat if there's anything uncertain. Like a home sleep study that comes back super, super, super normal, as long as they've had, you know, heart, eye, brain, muscle tracing, and everything looks perfectly okay, you're probably okay. Mm -hmm. But if it's borderline in any way, that's when I would be pushing for a laboratory repeat. Great, great. Really helpful. Thank you. So thinking about sort of like top tips for parents, moms getting the sleep that they're supposed to get or hoping, to, you know, we want them to get, I really heard you, um, you know, it, encouraging moms to get support, make plans to be able to to get a cycle or two, hopefully, <laughs> in. Are there other top tips that you would offer um, people for getting the sleep that they need? Yeah, one of the things that um, I used to go, I'm not quite sure why I'm not doing that anymore. I should look into that. But mm. I used to go and be one of the guest speakers at the series of childbirth classes that mm. a hospital offered. Mm. And it, it was the things I had to say were really lost on couples who are like late in their third trimester mm-hmm. everyone at that point is just really focused on the birth and choices surrounding anesthetics mm-hmm. and we're really just not equipped to be thinking about like 48 hours getting home from the hospital and then what mm-hmm. um so i i offered several suggestions then i think for postpartum moms they maybe are a little bit more meaningful one of them is there's a, a survey that you can get online and it's called the morningness eveningness scale. Horn and Ostberg are the, the um, scientists who 
developed this this way of looking at um, sleep and functioning. And basically, it's and, and the colloquial for this is: Are you an owl or are you a lark? Are you a morning or evening uh, person? Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Because we know very very well that you know you and I have been talking a lot about the amount of sleep you get and the quality of the sleep that you get. But the third thing that's so important is when are you sleeping? Mm. And and so having regular sleep, having routine times that you sleep are also really important for Mr. circadian function mm. because we know that our biologic rhythms happen on about a 24-hour basis. And so sleeping at all like random different times gives you the experience of what we now lovingly refer to as social jet lag. Mm. And yeah, so that's why having a schedule is really important so you don't um, have that kind of dysregulated feeling. And the other way that knowing whether you're a morning or an evening person can be really helpful is that it can help you with strategies. So if you know, and a lot of people already just intuitively know this, but Mm -hmm. going through and, and thinking about filling out this brief survey can kind of give you a little little deeper insight into your own preferences and ask things like if you're going to exercise would you rather do that at which chunk of time Mm -hmm. during the day like three hour period or if you're going to be eating your biggest meal what time of day do you do that Mm. and you know given your kind of perfect world and if you as a consequence of that realize wow I am totally a night person I would so much rather stay up until like you know midnight or one o'clock in the morning than to get up at 6 a.m. Like getting up at 6 a.m. is my worst case scenario mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. But you may happen to live with someone or even right. you know be in a partnership with right. them um, who do have that skill. Yeah. And so if you can you know leverage those strengths, if one of you is a more of a morning person, one of you is more of a night person, then arrange your shifts with the baby postpartum accordingly mm. so that. The, the night person can stay up later and do the bedtime routine and do everything while the more of the morning person has already gone to bed long ago. Yeah. And it may mean that, that a couple doesn't see as much of each other, mm-hmm. um, but I am willing to say that it's worth the trade for you both to be more well-rested when you do see, see each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I recommend. Mm. Um, and also kind of wrapping up all of the kind of themes we've been going over is really sit down and when when you feel like you can think creatively, um, usually before the baby is born is, is a better time for that, mm-hmm. um, think about from a creative solve it, problem-solving perspective, what resources do you have? Mm-hmm. What, what strategies can you use? Some people have big spaces that they live in and they can go to a quiet area um, and get better sleep. Um, is it really necessary to have the baby monitor turned up full blast so that you can hear every little hitch mm-hmm. in your newborn's breath, mm-hmm. which may or may not be helping you sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, is you know, Are you going to have a family bed? Are you choosing to have the baby co-sleeping with you? In which case, do you know how to make that the safest sleep area possible? Mm. Um, are you both on board with breastfeeding? Mm. And can you come up with strategies so that, you know, the the person who's not breastfeeding can be giving bottles of expressed milk at certain times? Are you both comfortable with that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, talking to people who have been through it, coming up with different techniques and feeling very comfortable with doing things the way 
that your family chooses to do it, not the way your friends or your family or your mother-in-law thinks that you should be doing (laughs) it. Those are my best pieces of advice. Oh, I love that. That's so wonderful. Thank you. You've given so much time to us. I think um, the only last couple questions I have for you would be, um, I I know that it's from a while ago, um, but if you met yourself in any of your postpartum years um, and can offer that that version of yourself any comfort or advice, what do you think it would be? Uh, The truth is that even though mine are... 18, 15, and 12 now, mm. and, and I, even though they're older, I don't have to, don't have to think very hard to put myself right back in those moments, and, you know, a lot of them I can laugh about now, and, you know, they're these very, you know, special shining things to me, in part because I survived them, mm-hmm. but I, I think... I think if I had a time machine and I could go back with any of them, not just my first, but with any of them within those first several months afterwards, Mm -hmm. I actually don't think I would say anything to myself Mm -hmm. because I was doing the very best that I possibly could. I think I would just hug myself Mm -hmm. and, and I think I would just try and convey like, like, good job. Mm. You're going to get through it, and it's going to be okay. Mm. But I didn't want to hear any more advice, Mm-mm. and I don't think I would have wanted to hear it even from myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really beautiful. And I I completely connected with that. That was actually me with my second, um, which how difficult it was really took me off guard. And so that, you know, I think what I hear you saying is sort of um, – how visceral that feeling still feels um, to to remember how how hard it was um, in that time that doesn't fade that much it sounds like yeah well I think that's one of the nice things that the internet has done for us is that we have a forum for moms to share how hard it really is mm-hmm. and how much it is totally normal to struggle mm-hmm. and and I think that we don't necessarily talk in person about those issues as much as we should. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget when my first was about two weeks old, I looked at my then husband and said, it is a really good thing that she is so beautiful (laughs) because if she weren't, I would just put her under the bush over there and Mm -hmm. walk away. (laughs) And then when she was about two years old, I was looking at photographs of her, and I remembered thinking that and saying that, mm-hmm. and I was absolutely astonished because these newborn photos of her show very clearly that she was not beautiful. <laughs> she was, in fact, really, really funny looking, and thank goodness I didn't see her then as I do now in those sure. photographs because, yeah, yeah the, the definitely the glow would have been gone. Uh. <laughs> oxytocin man you can't (laughs) you can't underestimate it it is a beautiful beautiful thing yeah absolutely Uh, oh man that's 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 so great thank you (laughs) well i think we all have stories like that but yes yeah i i I like hearing them and i like sharing them and i 
that I just don't think there's really anything anyone can do to adequately prepare yeah, you n- nope. for that experience. No, no. And I think what um, what sort of tapped me on the shoulder and just took me so off guard is I, I expected with my first to be unprepared and so that I didn't feel unprepared for my second and I was unprepared <laughs> for my second. Right. It was just so different. And I, I say routinely on the podcast, I say it to my clients, you know, I said, you know, like my first, you know, it was like hard. It was, it was difficult, but my second kicked my ass <laughs> like to be very crass about it. But I had a really hard time and he's, he's a love and quite wonderful and, um, great, but yeah, all sorts of really hard things. You know, how am I possibly going to love this baby the way I love my first baby? And he mm-hmm. cries so much more than she does. And what is his problem? And I feel terrible about feeling this way. And you know, and I'm a therapist. I know better. <laughs> you know, just like all of it, all mm-hmm. of it, because it is. Well, they're they're so different di- people. They it would be so like you know having yeah. serial relationships. Yeah. And saying, oh, but I, I learned so much from my first boyfriend. Why doesn't it apply to this one? Like it's a different person. It's a totally you have a whole new learning totally. curve to go through. Yes. Why? And it, you know, from that perspective, it's not really. Again, it's one of the unreasonable expectations that we have of ourselves. But yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness, that's yeah. so wonderful. I had, two girls so then I thought I knew something and then I had a boy oh forget yeah I had a girl and a boy and I say I still say I was ill prepared for this one based on the first one yeah they're different yeah yeah and my first is very quiet and my second is the mayor and yeah yeah I'm sorry you talked to yeah well I Mm -hmm. I also make the assumption that there's some threshold that you must pass at some point if you have enough children it must get to be sort of route and you become like an expert and then a few years ago I talked to a mom who has eight children Uh and none of them are twins and she said no absolutely not she said that even after she'd had five she still had the thought that like oh you know any minute now any birth now I'm gonna feel like yeah I got I got this yeah absolutely (laughs) not (laughs) oh that's that's so great to hear. <laughs> uh, where can our listeners find you? Are you on social media? Do you do any of that? Or do we, should I just post a lot of the articles that I found? Where Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so I'm really, I don't have a great web presence. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm really good at following people, but I don't, um, I don't really broadcast. I am... I think I'm, I'm like more of a intellectual parasite. Like I love taking advantage of people like you who are really good at the social media thing. And I'm just going to kind of, you know, speak through those of you who are really well connected. Um, so I'm very grateful that, that you have this going on and that, you know, you've got the respect of your listeners. Um, yeah. I mean, my published science is, is my most authentic voice mm-hmm. and, other than that, I'm available via email, and I'm in my university's directory. So if anyone wants to, to communicate individually, I'm happy to hear from them. Sounds wonderful and actually sounds quite healthy to me. That sounds so lovely, actually. We, we all learned a lot today. So thank you so much, Holly. This has been wonderful. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So that's it, moms. That's the last bite for today. But in case you're hungry for more, head on over to the Mama Bites website. That's M-O-M-M-A, Mama Bites website, and stream more of our podcasts. 
or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. And don't forget to stop by Instagram and definitely come on by our Facebook group, The Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.